0: Hello and welcome to Sustainapod, a youth-led podcast for young people and anyone passionate about issues related to sustainability in Asia. My name is Belinda and I'm the host of today's episode with Arwin. Today we'll be delving into the world of sustainability tech solutions, something that has been highly discussed and proliferated in recent years particularly in the private sector in the aftermath of the Paris Agreement, where countries and governments have committed to limit global warming to within 1.5 degrees Celsius, particularly working to cut carbon emissions for different countries. Here to discuss this with us today is a very special guest, Jenny Zhang.
1: Jenny is the product manager at CarbonBase, a startup working on a technology solution to bring climate action into every individual and company's hands. By helping to calculate individual carbon footprints, purchase carbon offsets, and provide rewards for doing so, her mission is to leverage technology as an enabler and scaler to address daunting social challenges facing our planet and future generations. So, Jenny, thank you for us. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, would you like to introduce Carbon Base' purpose and business model? Sure. sure. So,
2: uh, a bit background story. Carbon Base was started in early 2020 after uh, the founder Max uh, went to COP 25. Um, so, you know, after he came back from that, he was both very much energized by the energy of the youth to you know, push um, movements at scale, but also a bit disheartened by the glacier speed, no pun intended, of, you know, policy movements and changes. So he wanted to create a platform for citizens to become climate neutral, so for everyone to have an easy access to take action um, for their own carbon footprint. So that's what we did for the uh, bulk of the first half of 2020. Uh, So in the process of that, we also discovered that actually Um, because on the platform we partner with um, a bunch of eco-brand companies to offer them as rewards. So in discussing with them on those partnerships, we actually discovered that these companies themselves had this pain point that they could not efficiently and cost-effectively pass their sustainability efforts to their end customers. So, you know, whether that comes um, from the choice of the raw material, you know, how they design the physical shops, you know, how they run the business operations. There's a lot of information that's sort of lost in the blockchain so that at the, at the end, uh, customer ends, they're not really able to make a fully informed choice. And because there are so many choices, overwhelmingly so, that, you know, most customers tend to just fall for the best marketed product. Right, so so because of that, um, now we ha- we've been focusing on um, more on the enterprise SaaS products to actually help enterprises to uh, measure not only measure their uh, carbon footprint, but to take action either by offsetting or engaging with uh, solutions particular to their industry, and also to communicate their efforts and plans and strategies to their end customers and to and incorporate our, our sort of reward loop philosophy into this whole design so that the consumers and the companies are reinforcing each other's uh, sort of better choice, right? So, um, and then there's the, you know, crypto piece, which we actually found that, you know, blockchain is very native at solving many of the climate solution bottlenecks such as this information loss that I mentioned and the lack of credibility and traceability in a lot of the efforts because it's such a global um, you know it's a, such a global problem re, uh, requiring global solutions. So if I contributed you know for someone to plant trees and protect forests and the Amazons, how do I know that's actually happening right? And if I chose you know one gene versus another, you know, how do I know which one was not produced in a sweatshop and, you know, that the water that dyed the gene didn't, you know, pollute the, the local river. So there's a lot of information that's lost in the chain. So we felt that there is a, there's a huge potential for blockchain and other data technologies to be able to um, address some of these problems. So that's essentially the sort of the backstory and the inspiration for what carbon base, um, you know, why carbon base happened. And then that's, that continues to be the direction and the purpose that they're working we're working towards.
1: Thank you. That's so interesting. I'm so excited to learn more about crypto today. Um, so what is your role in this team and what is your overall background and how what, what made you kind of want to join this team? Yeah, so
2: I guess um, in two parts, a bit of personal intro. So I um, have a very mixed background. So I grew up half and half in China and San Francisco. Um, So I already, you know, have this very much, like, East and West way of thinking. And what I studied, I went to, uh, when I went to Berkeley, I studied both business and art. So also very sort of, like, schizophrenic level of mixing disciplines (laughs) and ways of thinking and, you know, totally different circle of people. And then um, after college, I ended up working uh, for a few different industries starting in the actually fashion retail space and then moved into finance with Deloitte for a few years covering tech sector. And then on the side, I did a bit of um, impact investing, working for an impact investment fund because I was really interested in understanding how, you know, business sort of having this business mindset can help to scale impact organizations. And then from my Deloitte experience, I actually saw that, you know, technology, because I was covering tech deals in the MA space, that technology also has this great power to um, accelerate and scale change, you know, in virtually every industry touches. So a mix of those backgrounds, I think, give me this sort of system thinking lens, right? It's because I'm kind of very used to thinking about anything from a very different angle you know how how would this affect very different groups of people up and down the chain Um, and then also I'm very interested in thinking about the kind of user experience so how does the experience for those people involved um, you know how can they be sort of better designed to mitigate some of these problems so I think all those things sort of led me to want to do something in this kind of impact Slash design slash finance space because I feel like it really like for something as big as climate change it really needs a multi disciplinary multi region sort of multi approach everything to to try to really move the needle right so that's kind of I think how my mixed background kind of pushed me onto this path that I'm on today and my specific role in Carbon Base I essentially joined as the first employee. Um, and my role is officially product manager uh, but really I see myself sort of in this builder role right so I build everything from the product itself to the team that's building the product right so I work with developers work with designers work with our business development team um, and then also I have to build External relationships. So, with our reward partners in the beginning, and then now our uh, enterprise clients and our community partners, because we also do, we also host events. So, there is a lot of sort of all kinds of building that, again, I think it's very, has been very, very exciting for me because it's this it's like every day is so action-packed, right? It's like you're always making something happen trying to push something forward and, you know, trying to tackle issues that's, that's preventing things from going forward. So it's just never never a dull day.
0: Yeah, that sounds fascinating and really exciting. And I think, yeah, I fully agree. Like with the kind of um, tech as a solution, you really have to have a very multidisciplinary lens. And I think given your background, um, like you've really been able to have like a back-end understanding, but also focus on the front-end, like, consumer side of things. So a little bit more in terms of, I guess, carbon offsetting, because that's something that you mentioned earlier on when you were kind of sharing what carbon base does. I'd love to know more a little bit about how technology, as you mentioned, like blockchain actually can be used to facilitate this. So can we start off by just kind of having a little bit more of a understanding of actually what is carbon offsetting and why and how is it important in this kind of bigger quest in terms of Cutting down the impacts of uh, climate change and global warming.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so carbon offset, I think, the the name because it's it's new to people, you know, it it kind of gives people this idea that it's such a it's a super complex concept, but it really isn't. Um, and the way that I like to think about it, it's like it's really like any other product or service that we consume, right? We live in this highly specialized world like we don't grow our own rice we don't make our own clothes and why don't we do that because it wouldn't be efficient for us to do that right that the sort of the the development of economy led to this hyper specialized um, world that we live in which obviously has its negative externalities but the concept of it is that there's efficiency in, in specialization, right? So carbon offset is essentially a specialization in people and projects who are particularly efficient at removing carbon from the atmosphere or preventing carbon from being produced or really released into the atmosphere, right? So to illustrate that a little bit, so uh, so say if I were to um, you know take take. Uh, the most dramatic, you know, sort of actions that I can imagine to try to lower my uh, personal carbon footprint as a person living in Hong Kong. I already don't have a car. I already didn't fly last year. Um, What I could do is I could go completely plant-based, right? So that would save me probably 1.5, maybe 2 tons in a year of CO2 so so but that requires like a drastic change in my lifestyle and sort of you know like my social life and <laughs> like I'm going to have yeah. to like cook differently for my family and stuff like that. So on the flip side, I could I could financially contribute to a carbon offset project. So for example, one of our projects is a solar cook stove um, training and distribution project for the refugee camps in Chad. Um so basically the pre-offset situation is that there are refugee camps that get formed and then it's typically the women in the refugee camp who are responsible for going outside the camp to collect firewood um, just for cooking right so they have to do this on a daily basis and you know not only is that cutting trees, burning, producing all kinds of, like, you know, bad smoke and air in the camp, but it's actually highly dangerous for these women because they lived in conflict zones. They are essentially the local villagers, non-refugees or local residents essentially see them as thieves of, you know, who are taking their firewood because they need them too, right? So a lot of times these women, they, they go out to collect firewood and they just don't come back, right? So it's a horrible situation and what's what you know, this project did. There's you know, there's an on the ground um, NGO that runs this project. That they essentially in- invented or designed this solar cook stove that's literally made out of cardboard and foil. So it's super easy to make, and then it essentially makes a reflective dish that is kind of like a slow cooker. So then you can you know cook you can cook your bean stews and rice in it for for a few hours over a few hours. So it would greatly reduce the need for these women to leave the camp, you know, leave their kids home alone um, to go collect firewood. So the impact of that is I could contribute, say, $20 a month, U.S. dollars, um, just throwing out a number, and that could support something like a cook stove for maybe like 17, 18 families, and each of those stove can reduce two tons of CO2 from the trees not being cut um, for each year for 10 years. That's how long these things last. Um, because because they can be easily repaired and the material is really cheap. So, you know, so I could, you know, the first option one is I could completely uproot my lifestyle and try to save that much per year. Or I could do this simple transaction and have maybe dozens of times the impact right so that is an illustration of this specialization effect of carbon offsets so i'm essentially paying someone to help me to have more impact in reducing carbon than i personally can by changing my lifestyle so that's the definition or that's an explanation of sort of how carbon offset work but i do want to caveat and say that um there are things that the carbon offset is not, right? Carbon offset kind of has a mixed reputation because it does get misused, right? So what it is not is it's not an end solution to climate change, right? Like we don't promote it as like, you know, if we have carbon offset, we will stop climate change, right? It's, what it does is it buys us time, right? It's an efficient way to reduce carbon or some projects actually do remove carbon that buys us time to decarbonize rest of the world that needs that still needs to decarbonize and also what carbon offset is not it's not a guilt-washing trick right just because you can afford to buy carbon offset doesn't mean i'm gonna go out and you know like buy a bunch of jeans tomorrow and like fly everywhere right like i will still take those measures to reduce my own footprint as much as we can so that's sort of like the two sides of um carbon offset
1: yeah so i guess the question now is how does blockchain technology actually come into the picture? What does Carbon Base actually do with this blockchain technology, and how does it actually like reach these individual customers?
2: Yep, yep. Um, so you know, to to kind of avoid having a 4 hour co- conversation on just what blockchain is, I think um, I, bo- I think we'll share some sort of much better curated technical definition and explanations in the show notes, but. Um, in a, in a nutshell, you know, it's, it's a digital chain of data that minimizes error and a loss of information sort of down the communication chain of which this data travels, which is why it's, you know, so good for payment, which is why it's good for, like, contract reinforcement. So the, the result of, of the blockchain or the, the value prop of the blockchain technology is it helps to build trust and efficiency. Um, in this digital system, right? So then how that is relevant to the operation of carbon base and relevant to sort of this climate challenge issue at large is that trust and data transparency is required for collective action, right? Because this is sort of this kind of like the the dark side of human nature where it's like, you know, if I don't see um, other people taking action, like I'm not going to do it even though I know it's, it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Or if... If I, you know, um, being 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 a good citizen, so I sort of did my part and I contributed, you know, I, like, donated blood and, like, do all these kind of things, but I never really know where the end impact happened. I, I have to place my trust in the organizations and the, and the sort of the middlemen that did it because I have, I have no choice. Like, if I donated blood, I just have to trust the hospital that they gave it to someone who... You know maybe save their life but i i have no way of knowing that right so mm-hmm. so what we believe is that if there's additional this additional layer of digital trust and data transparency it becomes that much more encouraging for individuals and organizations and collections of you know collections of community to take action because now it's just transparent like you know many other people are doing it you know the impact of how many people doing it versus not doing it and you know exactly what's happening with not only you know your dollars but somebody else's dollars right so if if um you know Pepsi tomorrow say that we're gonna like fully disclose you know how our uh, bottles are made you know where how they're getting disposed then you know it's much easier for people to it's much more likely for people to take that choice of like, oh, like I didn't realize the bottle that I picked up today from 7-Eleven is going to end up in some like rivers in Vietnam like two months from now and just like rot there for the next one hundred years, right? Because you don't see it. So so that's what we see
0: is the is the potential of blockchain in this context. Yeah, I think you me- it's interesting you mentioned um trust because I think actually for a lot of consumers as well, like not really understanding blockchain and how it works and like the idea of like having data like everywhere now um in a very uh, decentralized way is actually also something that they might find difficult to trust so yeah i was wondering like what other kind of risks are there with kind of using blockchain in the kind of specific context of like offsetting and with what carbon base is trying to do because i think yeah obviously with technology it's important to kind of not see it as like the golden bullet to everything that's climate related as there's still just so many new developments that are happening. Yeah,
2: for sure. For sure. And I think being in the tech space, we're very much aware of that the real risk is the unknown ones. Right. So it's like when um, I imagine it's sort of like, you know, the, the DNA double helix, right? Like technology is always this double helix of creating solutions and also creating problems because of those solutions and then you create more solutions to address those problems and you just sort of like (laughs) put down the spiral right so i mean you go all the way back to say like you know when ships were invented and then they made like international like logistics possible international like explorations and discovered whole continents but they also like you know spread invasive marine species all over the world like i think something like 70 80 percent of invasive uh Marine species today are basically carried over by like cargo ships. So I'm pretty sure the people who invented ships did not realize that what they were inventing <laughs> the ships, right? So it's it's the unknown risks. And then you know, today, fast forward to today, we have social media that create all this echo chambers and election problems and all of that. Like, I think you know, when they were at the dorm room stage, I don't think that's what they thought about, right? So so I think we're very aware that there's always the possibility of unintended changes and that goes back to sort of my like system thinking hat uh, system change thinking hat right there's we always have to be aware and trying to actively seek out anticipate unintended changes whenever there's any change or any sort of new designs being proposed and trying to minimize and mitigate is kind of ahead of that but um there's always going to be risks
1: yeah, I feel like the, the whole metaphor of, like, the double helix being a DNA kind of thing, that's, that's very interesting because I never thought about it that way. But, yeah. Yeah, it's I, like, you know,
2: name one knowledgeable um, invention that didn't come with a risk,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so mind-blowing. The fact, the fact that, like, social media has become so big in the past when it's not, in, like, intentionally, like, created that way, you know? To it being, like, a political institution or whatever now. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's so scary as well yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um so what has what has been the challenges with like using this blockchain technology at carbon base
2: right so the interesting journey that we've taken is you know in the beginning like i mentioned the origin story we very much start at the individual end we're like all right like if every one of us took action like that could be a collective like collectively a huge force but then as we dug into it we realized that it's actually very challenging to to map out an entire supply chain like a typical supply chain today say like a shirt or like hummus or like you know name anything from the 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 malls right a typical supply chain today can easily touch hundreds of nodes and dozens of industry all the way to you know the the very very upstream the mining the extraction the raw material to you know the growing the farming the processing the retail the waste disposal, so many no's. and and to to have that end vision right like we have we still have that end vision of making all of that transparent and making all of that accessible but to start at that end is very challenging and that's sort of what we learned with first half of last year, so that's why we've um, now sort of like traveled upstream to that chain to start with um key industries so for example we're working with the shipping industry the maritime shipping industry which is why i was looking at invasive species um and the real estate industry and also the um food sector which is already a bit more a much but much more downstream but say like shipping for example right it's quote-unquote simpler in the sense that it's it's relatively it's much easier to map the carbon footprint of a shipping company versus say a clothing company right uh, because they're, they're much they're much more upstream but they actually are part of virtually every other supply chain right so mm-hmm. so in order to get to that end vision we really have to kind of start from the top and help these companies that touch and the same thing with real estate right like what business, even if you're, you know, digital, you need data centers, right? Like, all yeah, businesses yeah, are yeah. still physical in some sense and form. Um, even though, you know, like, people think tech companies live in clouds, but, you know, clouds live in data centers. <laughs> <laughs> data centers need power. Um, lots of them. And, you know, blockchain Blockchain needs a lot of power. So all of those issues, it's like it goes back to some fundamental um, – industries like power building shipping um, mining extraction so so by starting at some of these industries I think it will give us a more sort of step-by-step concrete approach to then build out this this complete vision so that's that's been kind of a uh, very eye-opening, um journey for the team because these these are and and then the 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 sort of like meta observation is like these are exactly the industries that have the most amount of information lost in the supply chain because they're the furthest removed from actually the end customer right when you go buy um anything was the last thing you bought you know from online or mall like whoever thinks about you know what kind of ship they came on or like you know which what kind of fuel are these ships burning and you know what kind of sort of damage they're causing like people kind of think about shipping and oil and building as sort of like this like vague big bad person <laughs> like far off but it, they're actually in every single product you purchase Right, so I think it's been very, very eye-opening to work with these industries, and then basically we work with the industry leaders in these industries who are already um, very much aware of you know their their responsibilities and their need to take action. So we we learned a lot from them, and then we're also helping them to you know advance kind of their strategies by giving them this this technological. Um, piece to you know if they' if they want to for example in the shipping industry, it's highly fragmented and then the systems aren't you know some companies don't even have systems in terms of technology and you know for them to establish a standardized language that can then for uh, enable many shipping companies to then get on board with say like using better fuels and like um, adapting better operational, um, efficiency solutions to use less fuels to and then be able to still move more goods. Because so we're not going to stop global trading, right? Um, so yeah, it's like those conversations needs to happen over a platform of you know standardized language and transparency of data and trust. So it all goes back to the same theme. And so that's that's what we've been we've been helping these industries with. And it's been it's been a very very exciting and eye opening journey
0: yeah definitely i think it's great to hear about like the creation of all these different synergies and like this wider network that that carbon base is really trying to establish um with what you're trying to do um so just kind of looking a bit more on i guess like the meta scale like i'm curious to know like what the current landscape is for the adoption of blockchain um like you mentioned that you are reaching out to these different companies in different sectors like is landscape a bit like is trying to establish this a bit like more of an upstream battle Um, Or is it something that's already actually naturally kind of happening? Um, Is it just changing a lot in the Asia context?
2: Yeah, so there, I think 2020, other than the fact that, you know, the pandemic sucked, but it's been really a tide, sort of like a tide changing year for a lot of these larger climate policies. You know, you have countries, companies coming out with their carbon neutral goals and strategies, and you have banks coming out saying, you know, we're going to like, pledge all this money toward green financing so and we're also seeing that in the uh, blockchain space so i think in the last few months um there's been a lot of like crazy growth in you know if you guys follow bitcoin prices you can see the crazy rally and part of that is is there is now um you know in in the in the sort of since the birth of bitcoin it's been this kind of like this, like, geeky community individual speculator kind of thing, right? It's like, oh, like, you know, it's yeah. this cool new thing that, like, worked with yeah. people is, like, you know, going to, like, explore <laughs> and, like, make, create all these, like, fun, like, CryptoKitty and, like, stuff on it. Um, <laughs> but now, like, just in the last few months, um, really, the institutional interest is really picking up. And that just... Completely is a game changer, right? So, you have news like um, PayPal is going to allow Bitcoin um, purchase on the platform, like, you know, how many, like, sort of nodes that opens up, right? And then the CME, which is the Chicago uh, Mercantile Exchange, um, one of the largest commodity houses, is launching an Ether future uh, for Ethereum. So, like, that's all happening in real time, and that's what drove the rally of the bitcoin price because now people are like like oh like this is going to be you know one of the is like like it's going to be one of the things on the altar with all the other important financial instruments it's no longer this like you know what kind of like quirky quirky tech thing that like some people in the valley invented yeah so like it's really been um uh, just amazing, amazing trend and that the speed at which these things happen is literally just like days, hours sometimes. So it's been really exciting and um, yeah, so we're very exciting to, to be watching this space and then to, to see the, um, the sort of potential, you know, now that, now that this market is going to essentially explode um, in scale that the, there has more potential to then contribute to you know, the projects that we're proposing around these climate solutions, around facilitating um, data transparency for industries. And we're also working on a project on um, NFTs, so a non-fungible token, to support uh, biodiversity conservation efforts. So there's a lot of these very, very interesting applications that now there's just going to be a lot more investment into them. So
1: it's all very exciting. Yeah, I feel like when people mention Bitcoin now, it's like, oh, either, like, people just, people just want to, like, jump on the bandwagon and invest in, like, this, like, digital coin or whatever. But then, like, now that, like, you say that, oh, institutional investors are actually picking up and actually, like, also joining this kind of game or whatever, it's also, like, I guess, like, the fact that it also changes the entire, like, economy as well due to the development of Bitcoin and blockchain technology, I feel like that's really interesting as well. Um, you mentioned COVID pandemic, and I know this is like a really big topic and we can go on for hours talking about the COVID pandemic yeah. and how it affects. Um, but yeah, just briefly talk about like maybe how COVID pandemic has affected the sustainability sustainability tech sector.
2: Yeah, so I think it's been really interesting that it, it really had, I think, both both positive and negative effects so obviously it sort of distracted a lot of people for the right reasons to you know focus on more like just basic essential survival things and that included a lot of industries a lot of governments and a lot of individuals you know if you've lost job like being like zero waste isn't going to be you know your top priority like I've started I've had to you know order more delivery this year um instead of, you know, going to the wet market and stuff like that. So there was definitely a lot of distraction from sort of the momentum and the progress in in this sort of transition toward a lower-carbon economy. But I think at the same time, in a negative but positive way, it was kind of this, you know, awakening bell moment of, like, just how fragile our society is and all this, like, you know, fancy financial technology stuff that we build up on it but you know the civilization really cracks down what like nature takes over right if you have some some disease spreading it if you have more extreme weather if you have more wildfire like there's only so much you can do as a as a species to survive right so so i think there's a um, there's kind of this like constant zooming in and out action happening in 2020 which is like you know people zoom in to the daily survival challenges of like oh my god cases are up oh my god we're locked down again and then and then then people zooming out to be like okay well you know like as a species or as a whole society as a planetary system like we're super super fragile and you know what are the things that we really really need to do to prevent these things from happening again or at least to be able to to you know increase our survival chances of of these things, you know, knowing that these things will probably happen more frequently. So, yeah, so I think it's been it's been both kind of a distraction and also kind of a awakening bill for the sustainability sector.
0: That sounds like it definitely opens up a lot of new opportunities, um, even though it might have had like such obviously deep rooted like societal impacts. Um, so finally, yeah, like we talked about different types of technology, actually, in this conversation um, covered quite a few things. Well, I guess I'd like to end with like leaving listeners on a bit of like an open book kind of thing. What are the other kinds of applications do you think are there for fintech in the sustainability field? And like, yeah, we've talked about mainly like carbon emissions and and the role of kind of blockchain in that. But are there any other kinds of emerging fields of focus that, for example, institutional investors are now increasingly looking at? Mm, Yeah, yeah.
2: So I think... The, the whole sort of like finance and sustainability cross is very interesting because, you know, there's there's a group of people that always feel like, oh, you know, like corporate's bad, money's bad, you know, they're the root of all evils. But then there's also, you know, the, the flip side is like, well, like money is probably the greatest modern motivator for behavior change. Right. So if, if there's money behind it, like you can get change very quickly. Um, so. You know, sort of like along that philosophy, there's there's now an explosion of green finance um, strategies and products and services being proposed. So, for example, um, HSBC they they announced that they've earmarked a trillion dollars in green financing um, in the coming years to basically help its portfolio of clients to transition to more sustainable business practices. And that's I think it's super critical because these transitions are very costly right so so say back to the shipping company example like if 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 a shipping company wants to invest in a hydrogen fuel cell ship like that's a lot of money and you know it's it's it might not be a, a decision that they would make operational sense if they just had to do it out of their own pocket money right or if they had to do it through sort of like traditional financing lens but if there was a Green loan facility where as says you know that for for every say like percentage of carbon reduction or emission reduction that you were able to achieve you know by by proper usage of the the loan proceeds you know the there's this much discount on the interest rates and you know that is kind of a win-win for everybody right because then the 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 companies who are taking the loan are then somewhat de-risked from making these very very capital intensive investments and then you know the the banks which you know they also have shareholders and and um, stakeholders and they also have to have to achieve sort of you know their green promises of like x percentage of my portfolio is you know instead of financing kind of like big oil i'm now financing hydrogen chips for example right so it's really a win-win for everybody and just to pump A large like a much larger chunk of the entire economy and sort of financial liquidity circulation into this this green transition I think it's super super critical Um, so there's going to be a lot of fintech solutions that is going to try to sort of facilitate those kind of um, um, uh, kind of product and services and then uh, other than other than carbon emissions, there's also the larger kind of ESG metric right so there are um, there are already loans in in just in Hong Kong right there are ESG performance linked financial products that you know you have to demonstrate some kind of um, impact evidence on say sustainability development goals in order to you know qualify for these like interest rates or other, uh, preferential sort of financial cost metrics. So, um, you know, though though each of these, the carbon in a way is sort of easier to measure, quote-unquote, uh, versus some of these more sort of like social governance that are a little bit, even more kind of like intangible. But I think yes. it's a great kind of general direction that the, that the financial institution is going towards in really thinking outside of the traditional financial kpi so there's this concept called the fourth uh financial statement right so the traditional three is your profit and loss your balance sheet and your cash flow statement and those strictly focus on your financial performance in in your you know annual reports and your earning calls but now there's this been this concept floating around for a few years of the fourth financial statement which you're supposed to include your societal impact is where kind of where all your ESG stuff goes into and to have that, to incorporate that into essentially your, your kind of key KPI package. Um, so I think the industry is moving in that direction and there's going to be a lot of tech products that will sort of ride that wave and, and try to facilitate that.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to hear. And I think, um, especially, um, with the kind of, as you mentioned, like the different stakeholders, that are going to be really trying to actively do things. Like it'll be really exciting to see what they kind of do in the upcoming years um, with this changing landscape. So that concludes our conversation for today. Um, thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us today on this podcast. It's been a real pleasure to learn and listen to you.
2: Yeah,
1: likewise. Really fun to talk. And thank you to Sustainable listeners for tuning in this week with our conversation with Jenny from P- Carbon Base. Part two of this discussion will be out next, so stay tuned for more. We would love to hear from you about the podcast, so DM us on Instagram at Green Impact Hub or email us at Sustainapod at gmail.com.